Good morning, everyone. Good morning. I have fond memories of the evangelist Leighton Ford who used to say, used to pray before his messages, Lord Jesus Christ, speak to me. And I'm hoping that even today as we lift up the praises of God, we will be able to see God speak and hear his voice in our hearts, in our lives. So let's pray that prayer together. Lord Jesus Christ, speak to me. And now give attention to the word of God. Le peuple était loup au Dieu. Tout le peuple était loup. Les nations se réjouissent et sont dans l'allégresse, car tu juges le peuple avec doigture et tu conduis les nations sur la terre. Le peuple était loup au Dieu. Tout le peuple était loup. ครบទាំងទីបំផុតនៃផែនដីនឹងWalang gaya masagit na ng mga Diyos o Panginoon, ni merong anumang mga gawang gaya ng sayo. Lahat ng mga bansa na iyong nilalang ay darating at sasamba sa harapan mo o Panginoon, at ang iyong pangalan ay kanilang luluwalhatiin, sapagkat ikaw ay dakila at gumagawa ng kahangahangang mga bagay. Ikaw lamang ang Diyos, mga awit, walumpot, anim, walo, hanggang sampu. Would you please stand and join us in singing our first Truly believes that moment. 
Jesus, a pardon receives. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son, and give him the glory, great things he hath
the ends of the earth, from the depths of the sea, from the heights of the heavens, your name be praised from the hearts of the weak, from the shouts of the Can be seated. So I'm going to share just a few verses out of two of my favorite chapters, and they happen to be right beside each other, 2 Corinthians 12 and then 13. From 2 Corinthians 12, the great unity chapter, Paul writes, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to give form, give, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, in the body is not made up of one part, but of many. And then from 2 Corinthians 13, the great reconciliation chapter, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. St. Francis is credited with a powerful prayer that brings unity and reconciliation together. 
Would you pray with me? Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O oh, divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Lord, we pray in unity with the Spirit by the power of a reconciling gospel for the glory of God. May Jesus Christ be praised. And God's people together said, Would you please stand and sing with us? Father's children holding for 
song, May the Mind of Christ, my Savior, is a prayer for all of us, asking God to shape our minds and hearts as we prepare to hear his word. Good morning, familia. Today we have um, the pleasure to celebrate what the Lord has been doing uh, through a couple of uh, one of our a couple of our missionaries, Phil and Jill um, Aspergreen. I'm I'm hoping that that's the way I supposed to pronounce that last name. I practice at home a ton. This couple of missionaries live in Costa Rica, and they started a ministry in Costa Rica 15 years ago. 2005, they opened a ministry called Casa Viva, which is a ministry that helped children uh, that for some reason have been separated from their families. And what they do is they try to help them find a home. 
What is interesting about this couple is that they started this ministry with one family, one Costa Rican family that would care for one vulnerable child and open their home to them. This single thing, this one-time thing, if you will, in Costa Rica opened the door for them to actually start a big ministry that uh, over the years would put 900 Costa Rican children in different homes with different families. Um, 500 Christian families through that through, through this ministry, have been able to serve children uh, over the years. And because of that, not just Costa Rica has been blessed through the ministry of these missionaries, seen, uh, but, other, uh, but another 20 nations in Latin America have actually requested from our missionaries to help them do the same thing. Now, the reason why I'm sharing that with you it's because part of the reason why we get to, uh, that this, this couple get to do what they're doing is because we as a church are one of the churches that actually support this couple. It is because of your generosity. It is because you have chosen to worship through giving as well that these missionaries get to do what they do. All that to say, please continue to give. Please continue to support the church. Please continue to support the ministries. If you don't know how to do that yet, if you haven't started, this is an invitation to you. For those of you that are already doing that, we thank you and glory be to God because he's using you for his purposes, for the well-being of others, and to bring more people to Jesus. So if you, um, maybe you want to start giving, you could go to our website, wittenbible.org slash give. You can try to set a recurring uh, giving uh, to support the church, um, please contribute to what the Lord is doing in this creation. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you allow us to continue to be part of what you are already doing in this world, in this creation. Lord, we are thank you, we, we thank you, and we are thankful that you allow us to be part of the redemptive plan in this creation. We thank you, Lord, for people like Phil and Jill in Costa Rica. We ask for your blessing upon them. We pray that you continue to use them for the glory of your name, the joy of your people, and the salvation of the lost. But Lord, today we also come with heavy hearts because we continue to be reminded of what it means to be living in a broken world from members of our congregation that need your healing hand to families that need the rest your restoring power from awful incidents like the ones we just uh, heard about in Indianapolis of eight people being um, killed from the ones in Chicago, in La Villita, and even places like Minneapolis, Minnesota. From families that have lost their loved ones to the complexity of pursuing truth and justice. From a pandemic that, is, that, that, that would just go away, that families that are still struggling financially for broken relationships. To members of our congregation having to make important decisions. Oh, Father, shelter us now in the shadow of your wings. Oh, Jesus, bind uh, our wounds. Be our great healer. Oh, Holy Spirit, who enter into our very grief, intercede now for all these hurting people in this broken land.
We ask you, Father, to be merciful to those now wounded, to give clarity to those seeking truth, to give discernment to those that need to make decisions, to give peace to those in agony, and to bring harmony in the midst of chaos. Use us as a church, Lord. Help us become more and more your voice and your hands. Teach us to weep with those that weep and to rejoice with those that rejoice. Teach us compassion, love, and mercy. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus and the church says. Good morning, familia. My name is Hannibal Rodriguez, one of the teaching pastors here at church. If you're visiting for the first time, I want to welcome you. If you're part of the church already, I want to welcome you. Whether you're here in person or you are worshiping with us online, I want to welcome you. It is always such a blessing that we get to worship the Lord together. Amen? Amen. Last week, we started a a two-part series um, that is important to us because we have been talking about the concept of multi-ethnicity. Um, and I want to argue right from the beginning that we have always cared about the concept of multi-ethnicity. This is not new information for any of us. Actually, we, have all, we know that we have always cared about the concept of multi-ethnicity because we have always cared about the Great Commission. Amen? We have always believed that the Lord calls the church to make disciples of all nations. Can you say all nations? This is the reason why 90 plus years ago, We decided to support missionaries and send missionaries all over the world, like the story of what we just heard. This is the reason why we today support indigenous missionaries and leaders in different parts of the world. This is the reason why 30 plus years ago, we opened the doors of the church to a Latino church uh, known as Iglesia del Pueblo. I don't know if you ever heard of that. This is the reason why uh, in the last 10 years, we have supported different ethnic groups that meet in our building as you just heard a little bit about that this morning. And yet, the Lord is asking us to more and more. We are, see, we are not talking about multi-ethnicity because this is something, uh, and I mentioned this last week, this is not something that is popular or just because we're trying to react to whatever is happening in our culture. We are talking about multi-ethnicity because it's a biblical concept, because we believe in a great commission, because we believe in a great commandment, and because the Lord is calling us to live that out more and more because of the context in where we are. Last week... I talked about unity in diversity from the Old Testament perspective. Today, I want to talk about unity in diversity, and of course, we're talking about ethnic diversity from the New Testament perspective. And for that, I want to start today by reading together one chapter, not the entire chapter, don't worry, but one section that is very popular in the church. But that I found that is so many times um, ignored when it comes to the concept of multi-ethnicity. So we're going to be reading Acts chapter 2, verses 36 to 47. So if you have your Bible, please Acts chapter 2, verses 36 to 47. And if you thought that you were going to be able to read that in the comfort of your seat, you are, you are mistaken. It's a mistake. Please get up. We're going to do this. Uh, we, the reason why I'm asking you to stand is as a sign of reverence to God and His Word. If you are still with me, can you please say, I'm here. 
Acts chapter 2, verses 36 to 47. This is the word of the Lord. Therefore, let all be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Notice the word brothers. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 39. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourself from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, and to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Allow me to pray one more time. Lord, we ask that you speak to us this morning. We ask for the presence of the same spirit that did this in Acts chapter 2. I pray, Lord, that you give us understanding. I pray, Lord, that you help us believe. I pray, Lord, that if there's a necessity of repentance, we may do that. I pray, Lord, that you magnify the picture of what it means to be and live in unity within the context of diversity. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And the church says, you may take a seat. All right. My intention uh, this morning, uh, and this is what I'm praying for. That I'm praying for three things. That the New Testament help us embrace who we already are. I'm praying that the New Testament help us deal with the things that we already have. And I'm, I'm praying that the New Testament help us live in light of what we have already seen. To embrace who we really are, we already are, to deal with the things that we already have, and to live in light of what we have already seen. Let's go with the first point, to embrace who we already are. I'll say that out of the text, if you have been part of the church for a while, the text that we just read, the section that is the most popular is actually ver verses 42 to 47. And I'm... It might not be the case, but I could tell you that I have preached uh, from those verses at least 10 times in my time as a minister. And part of the reason why I have used that is because it's a description of what it means to be a community. So whenever we want to invite people to live in community, that's one of the texts where most pastors go to. On the other hand, these verses, 42 to 47, are often used to describe 
what the life of the first century Christians looked like in the midst of a Greco-Roman world. It is important for us to know that in that time and in that context, multi-ethnicity was not popular either. In that context and in that time, in a Greco-Roman world, they were radically divided, not just by ethnicity, but by everything else. The Greco-Roman world was built in such a way that the mixing of people, the mixing of people of different backgrounds, different lifestyles, different uh, life stage, and different ethnicities was simply impossible. But the Lord that is sovereign and good and powerful we raised in a small group of people in the, mix, in the midst of this divided Greco-Roman world to start destroying one world to recreate a new one. A small group of people of different genders, males and females, of different ages, of different backgrounds, religious and non-religious, ethical and unethical, and unethical, of different social classes, of different careers, rich and poor, people of influence, and known people, people that had it all and people that had nothing, and by, this, by some supernatural reason, come together and learn how to do life together. How do we know that? Because verse 42 tells us, that they, were devote, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayer. The word devoted there is extremely important because devotion is not it's this uh, uh, every now and then meeting. The word devotion in the text means persistent and intentional gatherings in which they come together as diverse people to learn, to share their lives, to eat together, and to pray together. Verse 44 says that all these believers had everything in common. And that some of them sold their property to give to the people in need. The word common there is also important. Because what it says is that they lived in such a way that they learned to share everything they had. And were willing to sacrifice their comfort for the sake of others. This was a radical way to live in that time. Nobody did that except this small group of Christians. In verse 46, it says that they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They came to church together, you could say. They broke the bread in their homes and ate together. It seems like if they participated in communion, it seems like if after they participated in communion, they will continue to eat outside the church. And they did all of this, and they praised God. In everything they did. You could say that they practiced all the spiritual disciplines. Gathering, communion, worshiping, and who knows what else. What is crazy about this passage, though, is that it's a group of people, once again, from different lifestyles, different backgrounds, different stage in life, different, uh, you could say at the beginning, religious convictions. And yet... They learn how to live in uni unity, in diversity. And it was so powerful, the testimony of the way they lived, that the Lord was using that example and testimony to add people into salvation. 
Now, I don't believe that people get converted by testimony alone. Like nobody sees you and your good testimony and says, oh, I need Jesus. But the Lord uses the testimony of the church as a way to bring people to him. Now, the verses before all of these things that we just read says that this was a group of people that believed, that repented, that were baptized, that were unified by the proclamation of the gospel and the presence and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. How do I know that? Because the verses before everything that we just read is the famous passage, the famous event that changed the Greco-Roman world and the event that changed the rest of the world forever, Pentecost. The people that we just read about were the result of Pentecost. And the scholars always say that Pentecost was the reversal of the Tower of Babel. Tower of Babel was the place in which uh, people got divided. And here, by the proclamation of the gospel and the presence of the Spirit, God is unifying people instead of separating them. Now, Peter, which is the leader of the group, preaches his first sermon. And about 3,000 people, more than 3,000 people, come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I think that we would all agree that that had to be a great sermon. But it gets even more interesting. Because one of the unique features of the power of the gospel and the presence of the Spirit is that it unites people that come from different places. That's what is amazing about Pentecost. Verse 9, for example, tells us, verse 9 and 10, and it, 9 and 10 and 11, I'll show you, um, describes 16 different groups. Here, we are celebrating not just the unity of two genders and the unity of age and the unity of backgrounds and the unity of works and lifestyles and the unity of everything else. One of the most prominent things that we can see in the book of Acts is the unification of different ethnic groups. You can see the names over there. I'm not even going to try to read that. And then you can see the rest of the name, the rest of the names at the end. 16 different ethnic groups coming together. And if you add the Galileans, you got 17. You know what I found interesting? I've heard sermons and I've preached sermons in which when I go to verses 42 to 47, I talk about this group of believers in which they devoted themselves to the Word of God, they practiced fellowship, they ate together. They had as an important thing the church gathering. They practiced the spiritual disciplines. They shared their goods with one another. They were willing to serve their properties for the sake of others. I, I preached that sermon. But one of the unique features about that is that it was a multi-ethnic church. Right from the beginning, the multi-ethnic church was the, was the norm, not the exception, church. At the beginning of the church in the New Testament, 
multi-ethnicity was the norm, not the exception. What we see in our world today is the opposite. The exception is churches like ours trying to become multi-ethnic. And the norm is that we are separated because of our preferences and because of our age and because of our background and because of the things that we have accomplished, but also separated by ethnicities. And what the Lord is doing here is starting to fulfill the Great Commission of making disciples of all nations. Did you know that the word nations in the New Testament is the same word where we get ethnicities? Ethnos. The Great Commission is about reaching people for Jesus. Amen? People of different ethnicities. Actually, the word ethnos in the New Testament appears more than 162 times in 150 verses. Yes, the first century church, in the midst of a divided Greco-Roman world, was multi-gender, multi-generation, multi-social class, multi-background, and multi-ethnic. This is the reason, for example, <clears throat> when you keep on reading and you go to Acts chapter 13, the church of Antioch, which is a diverse uh, city, as it, or it was a, diver, a diverse city from the beginning. Um, when the church is getting together, they have they pick different leaders that belong to different ethnicities, and they didn't do that because they were trying to be cool, or because they're trying to be relevant, or because they don't want to offend, or because they don't want to offend somebody. The reason why they had these diverse leaders in that chapter 13 is because that was what the church looked like. They didn't have to go through a list and say, okay, which diversity we don't have included here. No, that was the church. They chose the leaders out of that. The question that we have to ask the text and the question that we have to ask the New Testament is, how did they accomplish that? See, <clears throat> I think that the answer is simple. And we have talked about this before is that these people, right from the beginning, they learned that their primary identity, their primary identity was not their gender, was not their age, was not their career, was not, were not their accomplishments, and it was not their ethnicity. What made the difference for them was their religious identity, who the Lord made them to be in Jesus Christ. See, there's a scholar and theologian. His name is Larry Hurtado. Um, and he says that when you think about the modern world, you can trace it back to the Greco-Roman world and how Christians influenced that world to the point that now that world influenced our world, even the non-Christian world. But one of the big arguments that he makes is that Christians were so radical about their lifestyle and their values that they were often labeled as silly, stupid, irrational, simple, wicked, hateful, obstinate, antisocial, extravagant, and perverse. I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I, I think I'll be offended with some of those. 
And this was a description of the first century Christian. But the reason why they continue to stay together and fight for one another and live in this unity in diversity, it was because their primary identity, it was none of those things that we mentioned before. It was who they were in Jesus Christ. This is what he says. Early Christians took up a new kind of religious identity that uniquely was both exclusive and not related to their, to their ethnicity. All believers of whatever ethnic, sexual, or social class became one in Christ Jesus. Their distinctions were no longer to function as always of justifying discrimination in the treatment of one another. Instead, their new identity was to shape both how they saw themselves and how they saw their fellow believers. I don't know if you caught that, but the gospel applied by the person of the Spirit changes the way you see yourself and you see others. Another scholar, pastor, Dr. Irving Ains, I mentioned him last week. He says that if we allowed our blackness, our whiteness, our Asianness, our Latinoness to be at the center of our identity, even after we become Christians, we will create divisions. He says that the only way that we can actually do community together and celebrate unity in diversity is when God alone is the one that is working. Look at what he says. God alone has the wisdom, power, and grace to, to weave the tangled threads of different people with different cultures, customs, and languages into a single tapestry, tapestry of glorious beauty. The Spirit does not remove our diversity. Listen to that last part. The Spirit does not remove our diversity. Rather, He enables us to love, hear, seek, understand, and pursue one another in our diversity, including ethnic diversity. With the Holy Spirit, we hear and understand without Him. We misunderstand through fear, distrust, and self-ambition. Unity cannot be engineered. It is a matter of the Spirit. Our prayer as a church, as leaders of the church, is that we become that more and more. Why? Because that's who we already are in Jesus Christ. That's who we already are in Jesus Christ. No, 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 no. That's who we already are in Jesus Christ. Thank you. See, this is us trying to be cool and innovative, trying to be relevant. Listen, we are already cool and innovative and relevant. We just want to become what we already are. Amen? Point number two. Not only we got to do that, but we've got to learn to deal with the things that we already have. So a few months ago, <clears throat> Pastor Rob and I, were, uh, and I were talking, we were talking to this Christian leader 
Um, actually, he leads a very uh, uh, well-respected Christian organization. And we are friends with the guy, and we really like the guy. And he's actually really funny. Um, we start this conversation, we're talking about something else, and then he made a joke, and actually we took it as a joke, right? He says, uh, hey guys, are you Wheaton Bible Church? And Rob and I said, well, of course, yeah, we are Wheaton Bible Church, right? And he said after that, are you the church that is trying to become multi-ethnic? And then we responded, yeah. And he says, good luck with that. Now, listen, it was funny at the moment. But I went home, and I continued to think about that phrase. And I actually think that he was partly right, in the sense that multi-ethnicity is beautiful. It's just hard. I said that last week as well. Multi-ethnicity is amazing. It's, it's just hard. Listen up, church, but it's not hard because of the things that are happening, happening out there. And I don't think that it's hard because of what sometimes happens in here, sometimes unintentionally. I think that what makes it hard is what happens in here. I, I think, and I'm going to be super vulnerable, and I hope you guys don't crucify me for this, but I think that in my heart, prejudice is hard to kill. I think that inclinations are hard to kill. I think that tendencies are hard to kill. I want to invite you to consider, when you read the New Testament, when you read Ephesians and Colossians and Galatians, which are three books that are very specific about racial reconciliation. I want to invite you to see why is it that Paul spends so much time talking about the gospel and then talks about racial reconciliation. Because all that stuff in our heart is hard to kill. So I want to do two case studies <clears throat> today in the next two hours. I want to talk about Peter, the very man that was used by God at Pentecost. And then I want to talk about me. I'm going to share something about my heart that I've shared with you before, so you shouldn't be afraid of that. The reason, I'm going to start with Peter for a couple of reasons. Number one, he's not here. He's not going to be able to defend himself. He's not even thinking of us. He's right now with God. But I want to start with him because this is a man that heard, learned, saw, and believed all of this stuff that we're talking about. And yet he struggled for many years. So here we have Peter, the guy that the Lord used to preach to more than 3,000 people, and people converted to Christianity. Here we have the guy that saw firsthand the power of the gospel and what the Spirit does with 17 different groups of people. Here we have a man that got to see firsthand all this unity in diversity, worshiping one God, one Father, one Son by the power of one Spirit. Here we have Peter that was the one that in verse 38 called people to repentance, called people to get baptized, and called people to believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. This Peter, this is the Peter that saw the unifying power of the gospel. But this Peter, five 
to eight years later, some scholars believe. In Acts chapter 10, goes through an experience that is amazing. Listen up, church. Five to eight years later, after Pentecost, he gets this vision. And he's praying, and when he's praying, Acts chapter 10, verse 11, I'm not going to read all of this. It says that he saw heaven open, and something amazing come down from heaven. And he saw all kinds of four-footed animals, and he heard God telling him, Peter, kill and eat. Now, in verse 14, Peter says, Surely not, Lord. He understood that that was from God. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. In verse 15, God says, don't call anything impure that I have made clean. Now, pause there for a second. Because at this time, Peter is thinking about dinner. He thinks that God is talking about what he's going to have for dinner. Peter is trying to make a a distinction. Oh, wait, hold on a second. Am I going to have steak, pork chop, or fish tacos? In his head, he thinks that God is talking about food. What he later on understands is that God was talking about people. The same people that he saw five to eight years before at Pentecost. Now the Lord is working at the same time in another man named Cornelius, which happened to be a Gentile Italian. And God sends Peter to that house. Now I want you to see Peter's, what Peter says when, they, when he goes over there. Verse 28. Uh, nope. Uh, nope. That's it. And he says, you are well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate or visit a Gentile. Okay, okay. Stop there for a second. Can you see what Peter is doing? Five to eight, ten, to eight years later. The first thing that he says to this person that the Lord is trying to bring to him He says, you know that what we're doing right now goes against our law. But God has showed me that I should not call anyone, not anything, but anyone impure or unclean. This is what Peter is saying. Listen, the Lord sent me to you because God has, he makes no discriminations against anybody, any race, any group, right? God created a new humanity in Jesus Christ. We are no longer separated by our religion or ethnicities. We are, we are before the Lord, one in Jesus Christ. That's exactly what he's saying. But remember that a few hours ago, he didn't understand that quite well. Now, in Acts chapter 11, he goes to the rest of the church. And I want you to see the reaction of the church. Eight, five to eight years later after Pentecost. Uh, oh, never mind. It says, so then even to, uh, this is what the church says. So even Gentiles has, grant, has God granted repentance that leads to life? I'll read it again. And the church says, 
So then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life? And you would say, didn't they hear about Pentecost? Didn't they hear how the Lord put this church together? What do you mean, even Gentiles? Ten years later, somewhere between 15 to 18 years after Pentecost, Paul goes to Galatia and finds Peter there. And he noticed something that Peter did. When Peter, Cephas, came to Antioch, the multi-ethnic city, I opposed him. The word opposed is aggressively opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Verse 12, for before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. This is the same Peter that 15 years ago have seen the power of the gospel displayed through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. This is the same Peter that understood that God was uniting ethnicities. This is the same Peter that understood, believed that God has a different plan for this creation. This is the Peter that believed in unity, in diversity. Do you know how we know that he was struggling? Because biases and tendencies Show up when you have to make personal decisions. In his head, he's making a decision of who is more important there. Am I going to embrace my identity in Jesus Christ? And am I going to embrace those that have the same identity I have in Jesus Christ? 15 to 18 years after Pentecost, he was still struggling with the same thing. Why? Because prejudice is hard to kill. Now, let's talk about me for a second. I am, in the church, the multi-ethnic guy. Just because I'm brown. And I shared this with you before because even though I believe in everything that I'm preaching, I believe what the Bible says. A few years ago, I, I realized how much I still struggle with that. It was subtle. It was so, so quick that I could easily miss it. But about, I don't know, three years ago, I was talking to my daughter, one of my daughters, about their future husbands. I, don't ask me why I did that because I, I, I like to suffer, I guess. <laughs> and, and I asked her, hey, who would you like to marry in the future? And she said, well, I don't know, maybe. I don't know. I don't like Latinos that much. What? Haven't you seen this? <laughs> and she said, no, I don't like Latinos that much. I like, I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to share with you the kind of people she likes, because it doesn't matter. And I let it go, and life went on, and a few seconds later, I feel the spirit. I could almost hear the Spirit asking me the question, did that bother you? And the answer was, yes. 
And he replied, in my head, why did it bother you? See, maybe, maybe, just maybe. I'm still struggling as much as Peter struggled. But I did what I think Peter did. We repent and we move on. And we try again. And after that, I made a different prayer. I made a prayer for my wife, for my daughter. And I said, Lord, just give her a Christian. Whatever color or flavor, just give her a Christian. Because that's what matters most. See, we are called to embrace who we already are. We are called to deal with the things that we already have. And lastly, in one minute, we we are called to live in light of what we have already seen. So listen, last week, I showed you this verse. This is uh, uh, Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, in which we can see the picture of how God from the beginning wanted to build this great nation and wanted to bless Abraham so he could be a blessing to all peoples on earth. And I told you also that this is the reason why Jesus comes as the better Abraham. So people like in Acts chapter 2, like we read before, will accept the message and be baptized and be united as Christians, people from different backgrounds. How about, I want to argue that that's not enough. I want to argue that we need our history, we need what Jesus did, but we also need a picture of the future. I want to argue that we need to see Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, in which we see a great multitude that no one can count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the Father and before our Lord Jesus the Lamb, singing their lungs out, singing together, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is the dynamic of, a, of, of God putting all things together, making all things new, showing us what the full restoration of creation looks like. This is the image of a multi-gender, multi-generation, multi-social class, a multi-background and multi-ethnic church. This is a group of believers that regardless of where they come from, We are singing to our Lord. We have been called, saved, rescued, redeemed, adopted, loved, and embraced by one Father, one Son, and one Holy Spirit. This is a group of believers proclaiming that salvation belongs to our God. When I was thinking about that vision, I remembered Martin Luther King Jr.'s vision. And his dreams. And I think that we should dream something similar to his. Or to him. I think that as a church, maybe, maybe, just maybe, I want to invite you to consider that we should dream that the church's primary identity is in Jesus Christ and nothing else. Maybe we should dream that the church becomes more and more diverse at all levels. Maybe we should dream that the church truly believes that there's beauty in the multi-flavor, multi-shape, and multi-color kingdom of God. As a church, we should dream that we find our tones, our different tones, cultures, and customs beautiful. As a church, we should dream that we we need to get to the point where we believe that we are better together than separate. 
As a church, we should dream that we learn how to weep and rejoice with one another. As brothers and sisters in Christ, as a church, we should dream that we get to the point that we can truly say that we need one another. As a church, we should probably dream that one day we can truly, fully embrace who we already are, that we truly, truly think about that, that day in which the things that we already have will cease to exist. Maybe as a church, we dream that one day what we have already seen becomes a reality. I have a dream. Be part of that dream. It's a beautiful dream. Amen? Let's pray. Beautiful Savior, we see in our world so much division. So many things that separate us. So many things that cause problems. So many things that, 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 do, uh, that, they, that they do not allow us to love one another and serve one another and respect one another and care for one another. Lord, and I understand that the Bible calls us to something different. That the Bible calls us to celebrate unity and diversity. And I'm so thankful, Lord, for these last two weeks. Because we want to, Lord, um, do things based on our biblical convictions, not opinion. Please help us do that. Please help us contribute to the image that we saw in Revelation chapter 7. Please help us celebrate that here in our local church. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And the church says, can you please stand? The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ. And as the song says, we are elect from every nation, yet one over all the earth. Today we celebrate our unity and diversity as God's church and family. Let's sing together.
before receiving the benediction, I want to invite you uh, to come back next week. We're going to start a series called Unfiltered Loved. We're going to be going through a section of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that actually talk about how is it that we should love one another. As you can see, we put the two series together on purpose. Now let's receive uh, the blessing that Jesus Christ guarantees for us at the cross. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord uh, lift up his face upon you. May the Lord be, be gracious to you and give you peace. And the church says, Amen. have a blessed day. We love you. Thanks for coming.